it's green. Hey, okay. I don't think I've ever used it before. That's crazy. Oh, good morning. I hope it's still morning. <laughs> All right, so we had a good, a good month last, last month, a good full month. Always tough to follow a Josh month, but we're going to do our best. So last month, we sort of finished up the whole deal about investment with the idea about loving yourself first to understand how to love others, right? To comprehend our own significance so that we can then pass that on to people. Understanding that God first invested in us so that we could invest in other people and understand how that works. It's kind of a pattern in terms of how God works with us. He does things to us and then expects us to replicate that and do those things unto other people. So this month, when we're talking about being equipped and equipping each other, we're going to follow a similar pattern with that, too. With equipping, first we have to allow God to equip us, right? To find a synergy with him in that. And understand that we don't just have all the package deal that we have in and of ourselves to go out and you know, help the world effectively have a relationship with God in that. First, we have to allow God to equip us, as we sort of alluded to last month. We need to discover God's strength. We need to be able to trust his wisdom in that and find a relationship with this pursuit. Not an event-based thing, but a relationship with the pursuit of discovering God's strength, finding his strength, trusting his wisdom in those things, and establishing a mentorship with our God. Before we help others do the same thing, a student is only as good as their teacher, after all. So, the question is, when are you equipped? You know, is there, a, is there that point where you're like, okay, now I'm ready, let's go. And the fact of it is, is that there's not that point. In fact, you'll never be equipped. You'll never really be equipped in the traditional sense of the word. Being ready is a myth. There's too many variables to anticipate, right? People are too complicated, and we're in the business we're in the service of our God who calls us to be in the service of others. And people are too complicated for that. Even for the best, most talented of us, people will still pull one over on you and you won't be ready for what's coming. And even if you do everything perfectly correctly, the results are still uncertain, right? We see in scripture all the time people hardening their hearts toward other people, people hardening their hearts toward God, and we certainly experience that on a pretty regular basis, don't we? People even turn on God directly, right? When God has a literal physical presence in their life, we've seen people turn and harden their hearts against God. So how much more for us? It's really difficult to be truly prepared for something like that. So how do we reconcile this status of being never prepared with last month's topic of submission to God's strength, about being fueled by God's power and not our own. Well, we can both, we have to conclude that we can both be never equipped and always equipped at the same time, just in different veins of how that works, right? We have, we are complicated people, and so we have many aspects to who they are, to who we are, and our physical side of things can never be equipped 
but through God, through Christ, we can always be equipped. And so we're going to discuss some of that so we can figure out how we can then transfer that and equip other people. We can never have a bulletproof resume on our thing, on our, you know, paperwork or whatever that gives us assurance of what lies ahead. Our plans rarely come together like the A-team, you know, it just doesn't really happen. That's why we make movies, because we're like, oh, that's so cool, it's all working out. It doesn't work like that, you know. But with God's strength and our willingness to learn and work, we will find ourselves to be equipped in the end. God called the Jews to victory, to protection and prosperity through him, right? Through Abraham and Moses as their leaders and representatives before God. But this didn't just sort of magically happen either, right? Did they sit back in their tents as they're, you know, roaming around the desert or whatever, and their pop-up camping chairs or whatever they had the equivalent of, to wait for those things to happen? No. That's not how it works. That's not how God works. He's not the helicopter parent that comes in and takes care of things and just lets us sit back and reap the enjoyment of that. And we're not built for that either. That's not where our fulfillment comes from. No, they put in the work. The Jews even had to put in the work for those things. They had to fight their battles, quite literally. They were, especially in the early days, minimally equipped, you know, more like a militia force than anything else, versus big nations like the, and peoples like the Philistines or the Assyrians who had like full-blown armor situations and organized military and they were like making conquests everywhere and all of these things. But Israel, when they obeyed God, most importantly, they found themselves to be equipped for those things. To face even those nations that thought they were fully physically equipped. Jericho is an interesting example of that. If you guys know the stereotype the story of Jericho. We'll get to that in a second. But basically, it was a first, it was after Israel was brought out of slavery, after the Jews were brought out of slavery in Egypt, and they were wandering around the desert, and it was finally time for them to enter the promised land. Jericho was the first main and huge obstacle before they were able to enter the land that God promised them to have, to establish their nation in a spot. His promise to the Jews. The Jews, in that vein, faced a, a hardcore fortified city with basically a wandering, relatively untrained nation that's been, you know, going around in the desert and being provided for by God for years and years and years. This city, we know even from archaeology, but also from the uh, testimony in scripture, that it was, it had a force behind it. It had big walls. We know from archaeology that those walls were like three-tiered, I think. They had like this big ramp that went up it, and then another big wall that was like 14 feet wide, and then like a wall on top of that. And they had a spring that they had access into there, that they would be able to last a long time in a siege. They had, yeah, Israel had just wandered in the desert for 40 years. They weren't equipped to mount a full siege on a fortified city. I think it's, archaeologically speaking, I think it's the oldest city that we know about, too. So it was like well-established, um, it was in a, a land where if they took too long to mount a siege against it, that other nations would be able to, like, come and help them and so on and so forth. Like, it wasn't a doable thing for a normal force like that, especially one that weren't fully equipped as an organized army. 
um, Israelites didn't have great weapons of war, didn't have great armor, didn't have, you know, an elite force of trained uh, warriors that that's what they did, you know, like in 300, they're like, Spartans, what is your occupation? And they're like, because they're all like, that's what they do. They're like warriors. But Israel did know their God. They had received manna every day as they were wandering around in the desert, constantly getting a message that their God is there for them, that their God is present and provides for them. Manna is like this bread-like stuff, right, that, that came down every day to give the Israelites nutrition that they needed as they're wandering around in a desert environment. And interestingly enough, that manna was given every single day. It didn't last more than a day. If they put it in a jar, it would rot away and, and whatever. So they weren't able to like stockpile it and depend on themselves and so on and so forth. Um, they had to rely on God giving them what they needed every day, giving them their bread. But when they came into this land, starting the day that they were able to eat the crops of that land, that manna stopped because they didn't need it anymore. God provided for them in a different way, right? And there's no coincidence about that if you're a person living in that situation. They knew who their God was. And if they were paying attention, they learned that God was a God who provided for them every day. And this day was no different when they approached this fortified city. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. So let's go ahead and read just the most of that story there. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 through, I don't know, we'll go through 20, I think. Let's see. The Israelites did, oh, that's Judges. <laughs> the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. No, oh, that's not the one. <laughs> Generally true. Generally true. Okay, Joshua chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was able to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're able to march... On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant, and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying the ram's horn. Then he gave the orders to the people, March around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of their Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word of, from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried 
the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Now, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord, and only the Rahab the prostitute and others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they all shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Now this is one of those things where this instruction seemed ridiculous, you know? Like, people were watching these people walk around the town, they were blowing their horn and whatever, and it's a little more complicated than that because they had heard of God's miracles before that, and that's why the people of the town were freaked out, and they were like, man, there's something going on here. Like, this God knows a little bit more than the gods that we're generally used to here. He seems like he's got some real God juice in him. So, they were freaked out, but what God commanded the Israelites to do was ridiculous in the sight of the world, you know? And then on top of it, when they were able to take that city, he told them, don't take all the plunder and all this stuff, destroy everything, you know? Whereas most people would be like, that's ridiculous. Like, all these things are valuable. We should take these things for the glory of our nation, for the glory of our God, so on and so forth. But that wasn't God's way in this circumstance. And it's kind of cool because in archaeology— as they're digging up this city, they found that right in that time frame, about 1400 BC, there's like, they were told to burn the city to the ground, for example. They found a layer of the city that was like a three-foot layer of ash, like the whole city was set on fire. They found um, grain jars and things that would normally be plundered, like full of grain, you know? Like we see all the scenario that's played out in here. So that's always awesome when, when history and biblical testimony, like, match up. Um, but we see these things that are contrary to man's design. But in following the instructions of God, Israel found themselves to be equipped to capture this city that should have been impossible for them to, to capture and move on uh, with what God had given them. So, it's pretty cool. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author talks a little bit about this circum certain circumstance. In verse 30, he says, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. By faith, and following through with God's direction, is how that was accomplished. It's kind of interesting how, you know, you read that story, and you don't really connect the word faith, right? Because it's a story, and they followed God's instruction, and so on and so forth, but you think about it, and when you put that, put it in that box of faith, it becomes something that is totally applicable, and something that we can understand from that that God gave them a direction that they didn't fully understand, but they took that on faith and understood their God to be who he is. And 
ended up victorious in that and provided for it in just the way that they were promised. We also can view our being equipped as that situation. We need to understand that God has given us responsibilities to own and conquer, if you want to use that term, for his glory and for our benefit too. These things are ours to identify and ours to own, and we need to be careful about how we identify what those things are in terms of what is God's will and so on and so forth. So we need to make sure that we get to know our God, establish that mentorship with him, and make sure that we're equipped in the way that he wants us to be equipped, not in the way that our physical selves in our insecurities and all this stuff want to be equipped. We need to be willing to put in the work. We need to be able to submit to God's strength and his direction in these circumstances that come upon us. In Hebrews chapter 13, a little bit earlier in verse 20, the author says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. See, it's not about being enlightened with knowledge or doing God's ethereal, you know, like, vague will or whatever that means, or achieving, you know, achieving peace in your, in your mind or something like that. Being equipped, God equips us so that we can do his will, so that we can do things that are pleasing to him. Those are the things that we need to focus on. We can trust that God will equip us, but we need to understand what we're going toward so that we're being appropriate in that. Because God's not going to equip us for doing something that he doesn't want us to do, you know? We need to be in line with his will, in line with his character, so that we can trust confidently, with a confident hope, that he will equip us. Doing those other things, as a side note, you know, being enlightened with knowledge, like getting wise or knowledgeable and, and knowing his will and achieving uh, a sense of peace and all those things, those can be side effects. Those can easily be side effects from what we're trying to do, but that's not our focus. If we focus on those things individually, we're not going to achieve what we're trying to achieve. We're not going to achieve following God's will and being equipped to do that. It's about putting in the work to accomplish those things that please God with faith, expecting confidently that we're going to succeed in that, like Joshua did leading his tribe of Israelites into Jericho. So God doesn't call the equipped, right? He doesn't call people who are equipped. He equips the called. It's backwards. Classic God right there. Inversion of what man likes to do, right? We don't get equipped and then get called. We're called and then we're equipped. You can see tons of examples of that. Almost every character in scripture is like that. When we equip ourselves to be able to equip others, really we're getting ourselves ready to submit to God's education plan for us. You know, we're taking things one thing at a time. We may not understand fully what's going on, but we have our sights on what's good and pleasing in God's eyes, and we're going toward that. And those things, naturally, in doing those things, we'll be able to equip other people, because that's what a discipleship is. You bring them with you as you're doing those things. So that's what we want to learn how to do. We have to identify 
how to respond to those training scenarios from God versus temptations. You know, things, different things will happen, different opportunities will come to us. And we have to identify, are we being equipped or are we being distracted? You know, is there an opportunity to do God's will or is this something that is disguised as God's will? Is it for God or is it for self? You know, there's plenty of things that tons and tons of believers will get tricked by for that, you know? Like, people, you know, people think, okay, God wants the best for me, and he does. But what does that really look like? Well, you have to look in scripture to figure that out. So, is necessarily a, you know, new business opportunity, or a, you know, shiny new, like, career that makes you lots of money, or whatever, is that something that is an opportunity? Is God equipping you to serve him, or is that a temptation to serve yourself? These are things that we have to answer and that we have to learn how to have a relationship with our God so that we can identify those things and be confident that we actually are being equipped for his will. You have to think, you know, am I going to think about it from God's perspective or mine? Sometimes God equips us supernaturally for a particular moment or a particular reason. We see those things happen occasionally. But most of the time, it's through his established system, right, that we see time and time and time again examples through the scripture. We see his established system mostly through his word, through the scripture, through the Bible, through his church, the body of Christ, right? Those two things are like the major heavy hitters in that. Just to start with the obvious, studying your Bible. That's what you have to do to be able to understand that. It's kind of, you know, a broken record, but it's a broken record for a reason. And God operates on broken records, right? He keeps telling us the same thing over and over and over and over and over again because we have a hard time doing it. It just is, you know? There's so many things for us to do in life, you know? Plenty of us don't spend as much time or don't spend as much quality time in the Word as we really should. But we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says in verse 15, You have been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to pre prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We see a common theme coming up in these things, you know? A lot of times we quote different things um, in, like, the New Testament, but Paul wrote, like, a third of the New Testament or something, so a lot of times we're, like, quoting the same person. Hebrews and Timothy are by two different authors, you know? That's independent writing, and we see a common theme that's going on in there, those exact words, even, you know, that we're equipped to do every good work, that that teaching us, you know, God's will and so on and so forth, that all those things are important to focus on. And we bring up the Old Testament. A lot of people have a hard time drawing useful things out of the Old Testament. But these people, when they're talking about Scripture, they're talking about the Old Testament, you know? Even those things are useful for us, and it requires, you know, an attention talking about Jericho, to, to figure out how that is relevant and applies to our lives. And those things are valuable to be able to teach us the complete character of God. 
so that we understand what it is that he wants and what his will is and what is good in his mind instead of what's good in our mind. Jericho is useful to teach us. What fortress in our lives, what fortress in your life is standing between you and what God intends for you to do? You know, metaphors, they're fun, right? What fortress in your life is standing between you and what God intends for you to do in service to him? Not what God intends you to do so that you can, you know, make a bunch of money or have an easy life or whatever, but in service to him and therefore in service to other people. In this text in 2 Timothy, when Paul says God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Equip in the Greek is exartizo, and it means something like fully fitted to do every good work in that in that passage. God fits things together. It's, it's not a one-sided situation, but he fits the pieces. It's fully fitted in that situation one way as it is the other way around. God is sovereign, and he controls all sides of those things, right? The parts are intentionally designed to fit, is sort of when you pick those, that etymology or whatever of that word apart. The parts are designed to fit. It enables you to be able to rise to that situation because God has designed you for that situation, that situation for you. That is the extent of our God. He can do all things like that in a very personal way. Ek is the prefix to that word. It means fully and completely. So it's not just that you know, we're equipped with enough that we can do that, but we are fully equipped to be able to do that. And that full equipping is, like we talked about last month, wholly dependent on our God and our relationship with him and being able to submit to that process. Using our Bible is a primary way to be equipped by this. People, you know, you talk to people that spend a lot of time in the word, you'll get a consistent story that the scripture speaks to what's going on in their life at that moment, you know? God always works through that. He is constantly giving us things that we need that, you know, all of a sudden the Bible becomes very relevant and useful and equips us to do good works on the daily basis. And the more you're in it, the more you experience that situation. So I encourage you to keep doing that. It doesn't teach, the Bible doesn't necessarily teach a comprehensive list of mechanical instructions, right? But it teaches God's mind, and it gives examples and principles so that we can form this idea of who God is and who we are in relationship to him, what his role is and what our role is and how that works. His values can become our values. God doesn't give us a fish, but he teaches us how he fishes, you know? And then he calls us to fish, we can search for rules and structure, or we can search it for God's mind and heart. And those are two different, wholly different ways to look at the scripture. Both things can be useful, but to assemble a database of all these things, you know, yes, yes, no, no, yes, no, maybe, you know, that only gets you so far. But if you know the character, then you can understand how all these little complicated situations fall into those things, and it's far easier to 
make decisions where you know God is going to equip you to handle that situation because you understand what is pleasing to God, the relational significance of things, his value system, and all of that. We can discern his will better. You know, like, I don't know, would... <laughs> we, we operate in our lives, like, asking ourselves questions. Maybe we're going to the store or whatever, and we're like, hey, would Hayden really appreciate this gift? You know? Would she really appreciate this gift? Kelsey, I think Kelsey's really good at that. Michelle is really good at it. You know, these ladies, like, have a mind for what other people's preferences and desires and, and what's going on in their life. They have a mind to keep those in a catalog, you know? And we ask ourselves those questions and get something for somebody, and it's like, we're excited about doing that. Or, you know, maybe something other, you see a person and it dawns on you, like, where is it? I was going to say Isaiah. Where's Isaiah? Huh. I'm just like dipped out. But anyway, you know, like Josh maybe. Like we go and we see a person and we're like, I was actually talking about this Josh, but either Josh works. <laughs> but you know, it's like, oh man, there's just something about like, I bet you, I bet you that person would really bother Josh, you know? <laughs> I bet you this person would be really annoying to him for whatever reason. They don't really bother me that much for whatever reason, but I can just see that happening. You know, because you know that person. You understand who they are. You spent time seeing examples of what they do and paying attention to their preferences, and you're their friend, you know? Can we do that with God? We have to look in Scripture and be able to sift through that and be able to identify all those things about who our God is so that we can do that, not just for our friends standing beside us, but for God, who is our friend, and many, many times more than that. So, in that, can you discern a calling for you? Can you discern what God wants for you in that when you see a situation versus something that is maybe more of a temptation? And for the record... I don't know that those things are always different. You know, you may be presented with a scenario and you can treat it as a, an opportunity or a temptation, you know? It's like you can use a job that is meant to pay you a whole bunch of money and then flip that, you know, perhaps evil gave that job to you, but you took that job and you spun it for good. That's what God promises us, is that all things that he does for us he can use for our good in that situation. So, yeah, those things are complex. Each situation requires a special attention, but we need to be able to know our God intimately to be able to discern those things and have that active relationship with him. We need to be able to connect to the Bible and meditate, biblically meditate, chew on it over and over again and, and digest it and go over it and over it in different ways to be able to understand those different layers of it so that we can know our God better and be able to be successful in pleasing him, in doing his will. Being equipped, we're talking about it happening, you know, relatively in a, in a small space. It does happen over time. As you're doing this, you're building a relationship with God. It's cumulative. It does happen. Even in the case of the Jews, for example, like they started out 
kind of more of a malicious situation, but through King Saul and then King David and then up to King Solomon, their nation grew to legendary status and they were, you know, a mighty nation because they followed their God. And they, our God isn't just a, a God that wants us to, you know, eat his manna every day, but he wants us to grow from that. But in that situation, we do have to be careful because once we get better and better at things, once we get a bigger and bigger army, once we get more and more capable, it's a lot easier to be like, I can do those things instead of my God can do those things through me or I can do those things through Christ, you know? So we should strive for that, but being aware, being intimately involved in the character of our God, have a finger on the pulse of that tendency of mankind, you know, that we can get more and more equipped sort of on the physical side of things, but really more spiritually as far as a mindset goes. But we need to be careful to balance those things. And we can do that. We can get accumulation of things because we're relational and relationally oriented. And so um, we can amass that knowledge of God. We can know him more fully and develop a synergy with him that's continuing and so on and so forth. But no matter how good we are, situations are still unconquerable for us in the mind of a physical, worldly person or whatever. So we need to realize that being equipped happens best on the fly, no matter who we are, and not forget that, that it is an on-the-fly, in-the-moment type of equipping that we need to still rely on, no matter how cool we get, no matter how awesome we think we are. And we know from Scripture that God's power works best in our weakness. So that's something that we should embrace and appreciate. In that, God's other version of what he gives us as a consistent resource, right, is his body. He gives us his word and his body, his church body, the body of Christ. All of those things are synonymous. Exartizo, which was equipped, fully, completely equipped, fitting together, and ecclesia, church, gathering of believers, both of those things being called out, you know. They both, if you notice, have that ek at the beginning of it. Both are in a complete sense. They have that prefix that means fully and completely blank, you know. That's what he provides us in the church, is another second redundant, fully complete, well, it's not redundant, it's supplementary, I guess. They work together because God is relational. So, that's another important thing that we need to rely on for that. Ecclesia, completely called out, complete together. Neither one of those things are half-truths, equipping or the, you know, being equipped by the word or being equipped by the body of Christ. Both are powerful and substantial, as indicated by the ek thing. So, with God, we need to help, we need to ask for help in understanding how God is equipping us. You know, we can ask for help to God directly. We can ask for help with our brothers and sisters. Both things are completely valid and even intermingling in terms of where they come from. It's not just when we can't figure out something, right? We shouldn't just ask for help when we're having a hard time. 
though we can and should, and oftentimes it's the hardest time to do it, but we should ask for help preemptively too, right? Because we're pursuing God. We're not waiting for God to knock on our door and be like, pay attention, you suck, you need to get help with this, but we want to preemptively take initiative and do that. You know, you want to say to people, I want to talk about blank. What do you think God would think? You know, how do you help me figure out the mind of our God? Because we have the same God. We have the same relationship with him in that way. I want to talk to this person, you know, about blank. What do you think they need? You know, be in this conversation with people in the body of Christ, being intertwined in that struggle, sharing each other's burdens in that. Proverbs 24, verse 5, says this, The wise are mightier than the strong, and those who... Sorry, let's start over. The wise are mightier than the strong, and those with knowledge grow stronger and stronger. So don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. This is a, in my mind, a classic proverb that applies on so many things. You know, it's like, don't muzzle the ox while it's threshing. That scripture is not meant just to apply to an animal. We learned from scripture that that scripture applies to people, that God intended a bigger meaning for that. And what that means is that when an animal or somebody is working hard at something, don't let them, don't withhold the fruit of their work, you know? Don't put that stress on them. Let them enjoy the rewards of their physical labor, you know? And this is the same kind of thing. It's like this Old Testament scripture really applies to us, and we've talked a lot about this being a spiritual warfare that we're talking about, you know, that viewing things in that context of a war between, you know, whether we are going to side with God or side with our own personal selfish nature and evil and so on and so forth, that's a real thing and a helpful and true perspective to look at things at, to understand the significance of that. This proverb says that the people in our church body are invaluable in that process, that if we want to win a war, we need to have many advisors. We're not big enough in and of ourselves to be able to do that. We can't be equipped enough. We need to assemble all these resources that God has given us and ask them actively, how's the best way to do this? What do you think about this person? How can I do this? What do you, th you know, what is your experience with that? And that is good, sound advice. There's lots of things, right? Marriage is a war that many, many of us feel, you know, under-equipped for in a lot of struggle and situations. It ebbs and flows. There are good times, bad times. Good times, bad times. It's just how it is. Child-rearing, same thing. Even venues like public school, right, where you have all these dynamics going on. You need many advisors to be able to navigate those things well. The media, you know, lots of confusing messages and conflicting things and sneaky things going on. Many advisors wins the war in all of these things, marriage and child rearing and school situations and just bombarding with whatever happens in our culture here. We have to equip ourselves in these areas with the things that God offers for us to be equipped with on the regular basis so that we can then transfer and learn how to 
disciple others and be able to transmit those like we're called to do and share in each other's burdens like that. Do you ask for what you should do in this or that situation? Do you actually listen, you know, when people offer you advice or when you inquire? Some people, you know, this is, I think this is a minority of people that actually ask for advice and then don't want to listen to it, you know, but it does happen for sure. Um, but yeah, when people offer advice, do you take that as something that's sanctioned as wise by God? Providing, of course, that those people are submitting to God's wisdom and not dumb wisdom, to put it roughly. Yeah. So, other advisors that I would suggest, and I would highlight Jasmine in this, in this purpose here, is books. Books are filled with advisors for us, right? And some... The internet's the worst, you know, you never know what you're getting on the internet as far as truth and advice and so on and so forth. Books are not above that, but they're less, they're less whatever. Um, but anyway, we have a library of books that our pastors are familiar with that you can talk about, you know. You can use these authors as advisors and taking those and reading it and engaging in discussion, accessing the visible and invisible church, you know, all the members of the church that are here locally and in other places of the world believers that have died, all of those things, using those things, using those resources that God has set up for us. And those people that write those things, let's just be clear, these believers that are dead and gone and have left us something, those people left that because they wanted to be advisors, you know? They wanted to be biblical advisors. I guess I'm assuming a certain character onto, you know, a large, like, general group of people, but that's what it is. Like, you write a book for God, to God's people, so that you can equip them in that way. They're advisors that we can still hang on to. And we have a library resource, which Jasmine is in charge of, that she would be glad to help you out finding advisors. Um, I want to just bring up things like college that is a mixed bag of stuff, and you can't really trust it. But the concept of college is solid. It's People say that you don't learn necessarily as much from the actual education of college as you do from the discussion culture, where you're digesting information together and acting as each other's advisors and so on and so forth. And yeah, in college, a bunch of, you know, terrible ideas are thrown around and, and things are called truth that are completely contrary to truth and so on and so forth, but the concept of the interaction of it is solid, and it's what we find when we're recommended to take the advice of God's people, of the body of Christ. And that's what cell groups are based upon, right? So interact in your cell groups. Take advantage of that process in discussing those things and digesting things together. It's about immersion and processing of truth and how that applies to you, and so on and so forth. It's yeah, using books and using discussion, using advisors out of time and out of space from where we're at. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul encourages us, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. 
think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's like one of his concluding remarks of keep this in mind. It's the same kind of deal when we're, when we're digesting and meditating on scripture and talking with people about it. That's what we're trying to do. It's fixing our minds on what is good and pleasing to God and therefore what is good and should be pleasing to us. And books and discussion are a great way to do this. We need to keep looking for not new sources of godly inputs necessarily, but new inputs, you know? Finding and discovering the resources that scripture holds and how those apply to the ever-changing world that we live in, you know? And being keeping our minds active and renewing in a Christ-centered view, you know? That we're not viewing things from our lens, but from God's, and keep sticking more and more things into that and teaching ourselves to look at everything from that pattern. The best way to do that is keep repeating that pattern, you know? New thing. What does God think of that? New thing. What does God think of that? What do other people think that God thinks about that? You know? And keep chewing on things like that with each other. And lastly, in order for us to be equipped, we need to demand action of ourselves. When Jericho's walls fell, they still had work to do. If you know what I mean. So, Israel had a lot of battles to fight on many levels, and so do we. We have to be able to do the work from that. We have to demand action of ourselves. Look for things to apply. Look for where to apply those things. Look for where to serve. We need to be open to being equipped on the fly without having all of our assurances in place to begin with, but, you know, hitting that scripture on a regular basis and asking God to show us what we're going to need to know for that day, for that person, for that situation that we know is coming up, and even the one that we know that we don't know is coming up. Jesus gave on-the-job training to his disciples, and that's kind of how we need to view ourselves, too. We are disciples of Christ. We can't put our service to God on hold because we suck. The disciples certainly didn't, you know, and they took a long time to learn, and even after Jesus died, they still had things to figure out. But eventually, they were pretty fully equipped to do God's work, and they didn't rely on themselves for that, but they understood who God was, finally, and they were able to follow through with that. But it's okay. It's okay if we suck right now because God fits us with his purpose and equips us by matching us correctly with things, providing that, he, that we actually submit to and use the resources that he gives us, that we use the body, that we use our support system. And, you know, if we can't handle something, be in discussion with other people so that we're equipped to handle it or equipped to bring along allies in that battle. Many occupations require on-the-job training, you know, before graduation, even during the thing. There's, you know, all the trades, like electricians and carpentry and plumbing and whatever, but also things like teachers, things like sports. From what I remember, even selling Red Bull, I think it was on-the-job training situation where it was like, you gotta hit those things and practice and pay attention and learn those techniques and have a mentor in that. Um, even things like McDonald's or Burgerville, you know, like those things, everything requires training in that, where you're under a person. 
You need to practice those things. We need to be continually doing that, not just wait for a situation to come up where it, it stresses and tests us, but be proactive about those things to look for how God can be equipping us so that we understand what he wants when some situation comes up that stresses us. Because everybody knows that your function dives when you're stressed, right? You need to have that pattern. You need to have that understanding of who you're supposed to be, what pleases God, so on and so forth, so that when you're stressed, that's on autopilot. You understand that it's engraved on your heart what it is that you're supposed to be doing in that situation so that you don't lose sight of it in the stress, so that you don't get scared and look down at the storm and the waves and start sinking. You need to put that into a religious practice of being able to do that. Jesus told us to follow his example. And he practiced and trained for his whole life, you know? He did do that. He, like as a kid, we see him sneaking into the temple or whatever and like learning and teaching among those people and getting his practice in. But he knew when it was time for his calling. He knew when his real ministry started and he told us to follow his example in that too. John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The real issue isn't being equipped. This is a, a red herring, a distraction, a, a fake thing to take our attention off of it. The issue is recognizing what God wants, recognizing when the harvest is ready. Jesus said that people didn't realize that the harvest was ready now. He's like, go get it. Because people didn't understand. They didn't, they didn't know what God was doing. Their eyes weren't open. Their values weren't in line with God's will. But that's what we're called to do, and that's the example that Christ gives us. And then, once we recognize what the harvest really is, that's when we got to put in the work, right? And it ain't easy doing a harvest. I've never done it. I kind of wish I did. That seems cool, working on the farm, but I'm allergic to hay. It probably wouldn't have turned out good. But it's hard work, you know? That harvest is hard work, and we need to be willing to put in the work separately and relatedly to being equipped for it. Allowing this whole entire process of relationship with God and understanding where those things come from, from scripture, from the body, allowing that process to equip us in all those discussions and all those things. And there's a fine line between seeking to be prepared and allowing God to equip us through the revealed ways of doing that, you know? Making things that are ours into a fake version of what is God's is our specialty as people. So we need to be prepared to, to distinguish, to discern what's the fine line between seeking to be prepared on our own physical means and allowing God to equip us through his revealed ways of doing that. And even understanding the practical overlap of those things. You know, understanding spiritually of our reliance on God to equip us to do those things. Not taking for granted that things are too complicated for us to really have a hold on that God's in control of both sides of the equation. So we have to have enough faith to feel at home with being 
physically outgunned in the world's eyes, not be intimidated by that. Enough faith to let God equip us as we go, learning to recognize where God has fit us into a task and a situation and with a person and so on and so forth. Knowing God enough to follow his channels, to follow his word, to follow his people. Understanding that this is how we're equipped with God's wisdom. Comprehending that the wise are mightier than the strong. Wisdom being rooted in the fear of the Lord and his ways. And being willing to put in the work that follows that understanding. We don't have the right to own our own lives, right? Everything we do is connected to God. We sit at the feet of our master, we obey, we learn, wax on, wax off. If you recall, we have to operate like he did, wax on, wax off guy. Operate on faith and ask for understanding of those things, but trust that we're going to be equipped for that tournament when that rolls in. So let's think and ask on some questions here. What fortress, once again, what fortress in your life is standing between you and what God intends for you to do in service to him? What is your Jericho that's between God's will for you and where you currently stand wandering around? How can you fit on-the-fly scripture into your life to become equipped? You know, understanding that that's a process that God uses that to speak into our lives in real time. How can you fit on-the-fly scripture into your life to submit to that process of being equipped? How do you let Christ's body fill in the blanks and equip you for a difficult task? How do you do that? You know, how can you do that? Allow the body to fill in your blanks and equip you. Do you feel prepared, or do you feel equipped? It's kind of an internal mental processing question. Do you feel prepared, or do you feel equipped? And then lastly, how do you do with really applying Scripture, with really letting God change the way you operate, you know, letting that inform your life in that situation, taking what you read in that morning or whatever and keeping that in mind and seeing that and trying to put that into effect that day to try to change those patterns with putting in that work. Okay, let's go discuss.